Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same love, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right or die. All right, welcome back to Forged in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Rob Verhelts, better known as Fireman Rob. I have a great guest for you today that really puts others before herself and has been doing that for a long, long time. She is a nine-time Ironman finisher, but not just by herself, guiding blind athletes. She's a two-time race across America, four-person finisher. Carolyn, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I uh, was excited to have an excuse to talk to you, to be honest. <laughs> it's You know, I got to see you in my world record year and the last race of the world record mm. year in, in Austin. It was, it was great. Oh, that was just so incredible. I, I feel like I was in tears that day just watching you. That was amazing. It was a very long adventure. And, and you've, speaking of long adventure, You've had long adventures, but I kind of want to go back to the root of it. I loved finding out that you played water polo because I played water polo in college too. No And you way. played in high school. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> and one of my favorite parts is, you know, sports always correlates to other things in your life. And I love how you said water polo was helpful for guiding me because guiding people in races is like a context sport. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, water polo is really, I mean, from what I could see, it's one of the only contact sports for women. I mean, it's not openly a contact sport in that you can't really be super aggressive with people or else the ref will come after you. But, uh, you know, you are swimming in a pool with a bunch of other people and you're fighting for a ball and it's very aggressive and it can be really stressful. And I think that anybody who's done a triathlon in a mass start understands just how aggressive some of those swims can be. But now imagine if you were tied to another person that you were guiding who can't see the people coming up behind you or, or to the side. So I think that it becomes even more real and you have to be able to laser focus on, on the task at hand and also make sure that you're keeping people out of your way and out of your athlete's way. And I found that water polo was incredibly helpful with the confidence in the water and then just the ability to sort of navigate those hectic situations. Do you every once in a while look up when you either dunk somebody or knock them out of the way to see if there's going to be a whistle? <laughs> uh, no, but I've definitely made people angry. And in fact, in Ironman Western Australia, where you swim around this wooden jetty that's a mile out, my husband watched a guy get really mad at me. I, I was just sort of gently shoving him out of the way. I was just like, I don't know what else to do here, man. Like, I'm sorry. You're I'm in sorry the way. That, man. Yeah, pretty exactly. So sorry to cover that. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, going back, you talk about how you really weren't, you know, you claim you weren't an athlete, but I don't, I don't truly believe that you've always kind of had that passion for helping others. The first year that you actually did your first triathlon, what did that feel like? You were 17 years old when you did your first. What was that right. like to you? 
it felt like one of the greatest things I'd ever accomplished. And I think that that is a feeling that a lot of people get when they they set a goal and, and they put a lot of work into it and then they ultimately achieve it. And I just remember crossing the finish line and just feeling really accomplished. And honestly, I'm not sure if there, there's a better feeling than I've put work into something, I've achieved whatever this goal may be. And I think that's probably why I gravitated towards guiding just because the women that I race with generally, you know, they're totally physically capable of doing these events. And if I'm just willing to sort of be by their side during the race, they can also experience that feeling that was so powerful for me starting when I was 17. And what does that feel like to be able to be the eyes of somebody? Because, you know, like you said, they're physically capable of doing this, but they can't visualize it. They can't see the direction to go. And so you're really the eyes of their journey to something that they never thought they could do. What does that feel like to you? I know you're a very humble person. (laughs) I love that. But what does that feel like? Because I think a lot of people would love to be able to understand that and maybe even do it themselves. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think to be clear, the reason that I will go on podcasts or you know whatever, talk about my experiences as a guide is that I think that there are a lot of people that want to be guides and that don't know that it's possible. But the overwhelming feeling I get when I'm racing with anybody is gratitude because I don't take it for granted that the person I'm racing with is willing to put their faith and trust in me to help them get to the finish line safely. And I think that that's something I've never lost is just every time I'm either running, cycling, swimming, racing with somebody, I feel really grateful that I'm by their side. And I've really formed some of the best friendships that I've ever had through this sport. And many of the the women that I've raced with have become incredibly close friends of mine. So that I think gratitude is just the main thing that comes to mind when you ask, you know, what it's like. And so you began being a guide for, you know, mostly Ironmans. Is it multiple different race lengths? Multiple different race lengths. And that's the thing is, you know, people who are blind and visually impaired, if they want to compete and if they have super low vision, they'll need a guide for any distance. So, you know, anything from 5K up to you know, a guided race across America, which is cycling only, but it was a very long event. So I think any distance, I'm willing to guide any distance and, and have guided many different distance events. And, you know, you talk about race across America, and I, I love, I want to get into that more because, <laughs> you know, watching your journey in race across America was amazing. And just the trials and tribulations, especially being a guide, because not only are you help, you're trying to get yourself through it, but you're also trying to get it for somebody else. So that feeling like when you can't move anymore or, I want you to tell the story of when you were going down that highway and you got so nervous because of all the cars. You know, um, (laughs) tell us more about why you chose to do Race Across America while help assisting somebody who is blind. Well, first, I'll just say I got I got lucky to be asked to be on on the Race Across America team that I was on. It was put together by several incredible individuals. Dan Berlin really spearheaded the effort, as did Jack Chen, who I ended up piloting. But the the purpose of that group was to become the first blind tandem team. So a team of four tandem bikes with four blind stokers, the person that sits on the back, and then four sighted guides. And the whole goal of our team was to highlight how capable blind and visually impaired people are. And I always want to be careful that I'm not speaking for that community. But I do think, you know, if you're talking to me about this, I will absolutely highlight how impressive the people that I, I know in this community are. And basically everybody on our team, not only was an athlete, but also was incredibly successful professionally. And I think that's important because a lot of people in society don't realize that blind people can do everything that we can do. So that was right. that was the goal. But I got really lucky that the people I knew were, were going to be asked to be stokers on the team. And, you know, I had already completed Race Across America, so I, I knew what I was in for. And I'm, I'm a big cyclist. So I got asked to pilot. And it was just 
I don't even know what to say about Race Across America, <laughs> except that it will test you in every way possible. <laughs> and it's a lot of mental, you know, the physical fatigue is a big one, but at the same time, the mental strain. And, you know, it's interesting as we talk about this more, you know, I think about how people are so scared of the unknown things that they can't see. Mm-hmm. Now, think of somebody who can't see at all. And the unknown is always there for them. And you're taking them across America. You can hear cars. You can hear all these things. Tell me one of the great stories of that journey across, race across America. I will, we'll get into the scary one later, but uh, <laughs> what is one of the greater moments that you had on that journey? Oh, man. I I mean, there were so many great moments. I think that one of the coolest moments was sort of the very, very end of the race. Uh, we were probably the last state before we were going to cross the finish line in Annapolis. And one of our teammates was really struggling. And so Tina Amond, who's an incredible woman that I've raced with many times, she was feeling pretty good physically. And thankfully, her pilot, Pamela, and I are a relatively similar height. So, you know, we could basically hop on and off the bike and not have to make too many adjustments. And Tina was able to basically do double duty and just switch off pilots as we were climbing through these, you know, incredible hills. And we we were really suffering after basically a week straight of riding and just seeing her step up and just hang in there to get us through that home stretch was so cool. It was a testament to her ability to to suffer through a whole lot of pain. And then the, the work that she'd put in and her willingness to tolerate just switching pilots, you know, every 15 minutes or so. It was just absolutely wow. incredible. Yeah. And how many miles is that race across America? It's about 3,000. <laughs> That's a few. Yeah, That's a few. It, it was a long one. <laughs> and so when you do this, you have kind of give people a perspective of you have different people that crew for you. You have different people that pilot. How much did you actually get to rest? So the resting is interesting. Well, first of all, you can't do it without the crew. Our crew was unbelievable. We had, I think, 20 crew members that were supporting us. You know, When you're the rider, you have the easy job. All you have to do is ride. And then when you're not riding, you eat and sleep. The crew was you know, cooking our <laughs> meals, making sure equipment was prepared, dealing with our emotional meltdowns. Um, I certainly had a few. <laughs> the crew were the true heroes, I'm telling you. But when it comes to riding, the way it works is you'll have two teams of two bikes, essentially. So and those two bikes will do shifts where they'll ride 20 to 30 minutes on, 20, 30 minutes off, and they'll be rotating. And they'll do that for four to six hours or a set amount of miles. And while that group of two bikes is rotating, the other group of two bikes will be sleeping and, and eating. So really, you're going to be on for four to six hours and off for four to six hours. Usually it was closer to four, though. So really, you're not getting a lot of sleep. And the sleep deprivation is a big element. Now, of course, we we were a four bike team. So we got more sleep than the two person or the solo riders. But that's a whole nother story. (laughs) And that that just adds to the the turmoil that is the race. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly, exactly. And when you finish that race, and the euphoric feeling, and actually, I want to tell the story because, you know, it kind of lends into the question. But when you talk about the finish line of being that person that helps to guide that individual across the finish line and find their their true potential, you are so humble. Like, I love the story about you crossing the finish line in Kona, and you turned your bib around. Why'd you do that? Well, first of all, in Kona, I don't even think that I mean, my name's not on the bib. I don't even have my own race number. So the the bib didn't even matter. But I think it's important for people to be cheering for the right person. And I also want to be clear that many of the athletes I've raced with, they want me to, to take as much credit as they're getting. This isn't a, it really is a partnership. But I think that 
when I was racing with Helen Webb in Kona, she was selected to go to the race. She This was her second Ironman. She was the second visually impaired woman to complete Kona. So I think that making sure that everybody, you know, for me, it was important to make sure people were cheering for the right person. I think that's a, I mean, that's a huge thing that lends a lot to what you do for the sport as, as well as for other people. And I think, you know, looking at that, how did that come about in your life that, you wanted to be that person that was making that difference, that was making that impact, but from the side of somebody, not in front of somebody. Well, okay. And I don't share this story often, but really, I think guiding actually, it saved me more than I've helped other people through it. You know, I went through multiple periods of depression in, when I was younger, and I was not doing well the summer that I, I first started guiding. I was really just, you know, physically, mentally, I was kind of done. And, you know, when you probably have been in those periods where your yep. body's not cooperating, you don't feel good, I was really unhappy. And so when I first started guiding, it actually, you know, I had signed up to do the New York City Tribe, and I was planning to do it on my own. But when I was asked to guide, it made the race meaningful again. And it really, I can't say it pulled me out of a depression, but I will say that it set me off on the path of being a guide. And there were other periods where I really wasn't doing well. And guiding had, you know, ultimately was the one constant thing. You know, even if I was struggling, you know, in a job or in a relationship, I was always able to go out there and, and race with people that I cared about and help them get to the finish line of whatever event they wanted. But ultimately, it gave me a sense of purpose. And I'm not actually sure where I would be right now if I hadn't started guiding. That's amazing. Thank you for telling that story, because that's one of those things where you find your purpose sometimes in the places that you never thought you would. And it's it's mm -hmm. so important. And now you're a mom now. I love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's wild. It's, it's weird to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to be a mom? Is that knowing how did all these things that you've done in your life, how did that prepare you for this? It's not a job. It's more of a, a daily habit that you have to do. <laughs> you know, I, I love being a mom and I absolutely love my daughter. But I, I think one of the things I was worried about in becoming a mom was how is this? This is going to sound really strange to people who don't understand how much I care about this. But I was worried, you know, will I stop guiding? I mean, I knew I wouldn't stop guiding, but it was more right. like wanting to make sure I could still be there to race with the people I'm so close with. So one of the things that was so awesome is after I got pregnant and talking to the women that I was racing with and, you know, my friend Randy was like, hey, I was thinking about it. Actually, I think I asked her to do the Houston Marathon. <laughs> you know, we have a bunch of friends that were going out to do it. Yeah. But it was one of those like, we could put this event on the calendar to do it together. And you know, she didn't know where I would be fitness wise. But that's where we are in our relationship at this point is that we go and do these events so we can hang out and spend time together. I think a lot of people have that with their race community. Yeah. But it just happens that Randy and I do the race together. But it was I had a goal, a fitness goal for myself after having the baby. And that was so cool. And I'm, I'm so grateful to Randy for you know, sort of putting her faith in the fact that I could get in marathon shape. I had plenty of time. I want to say it was like nine months after having the baby, but it was just really neat that she was totally on board with that. And what did it feel like to get get back in the race and kind of put those shoes back on and, and get out there? Well, it was like being me again, you know? I think that's so important after you... Well, for me, it's important that I didn't want... You know, I have a demanding job. I'm an athlete. But like, for me, I didn't want becoming a mom to be the only thing that I... I didn't want that to be my only identity. Right. So it felt like getting back to who I am. I love that. I love that. And, you know, and it's a lot about showing your kids through your actions. I know you have a really young one mm -hmm. right now, but, you know, mm -hmm. you don't want to lose that ability to be able to show your kids what's possible in this world. And, you know, going to work and coming home is one thing, but also being able to help others is another thing. How important is that moving forward with your, you know, LBJ to be able to show what it's like to be able to help others? 
I mean, to me, it's funny, I never want to project on my kids. Like, I, I don't want her to think she has to be an athlete or has to do all these things. But I do hope that if there's one thing she picks up from me and, and my husband, James, is that it's important to do things for other people. I mean, here's the thing is doing things for other people is actually selfish. I'm sure that you've experienced <laughs> the same thing. That yes. you, you, you get more out of it than you're giving, right? Yes. So I don't consider helping people to be this selfless thing. It's not. It's very selfish. But if you can also, you know, support other people and get benefit, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, that's completely the best way to look at it. Now, kind of going into some of the organizations, because I want to make sure that we highlight some of the organizations that yeah. you're a part of, because you have a lot of organizations that you're a part of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and that's the thing is there are so many great organizations. And I think people are often like, where do I start if I want to be a guide? And I would always say that probably the first thing to do is to put your name into United in Stride, which is a website that connects guides and athletes based on location. Now it's I don't I don't know if it's at critical mass yet. Like it's you're not guaranteed to find an athlete in your area if you put your name in. But you know, if you're traveling and you are able and willing to guide somebody, you know, you can find somebody in different locations. So I think it's important that everybody registers there. So that's a really neat group. One of the ones that I think people are most familiar with is uh, Achilles International. They have chapters all over the place. Not every chapter is as robust as, as others. So New York is a really, really well built out chapter. But you know, if you don't have a chapter in your area, and you have the ability to commit, you can definitely create a local chapter, which is pretty cool. And then two awesome organizations, one is Chicago based Dare to Try. They have camps and clinics, and they have now a great online virtual presence during this pandemic. They're doing a lot of workouts right now. And there's, you can certainly get involved that way. Um, and then Catapult is a Houston-based organization. They're also doing camps and they and they will bring people together for huge events. Like they were the ones that organized the Houston Marathon. But I would say connect with every organization you possibly can because they all do different things. They all have an incredible community and there are more opportunities than are immediately visible, I would say. I love that. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's that vision of being able to help a lot of different organizations to be able to help maybe just one person be able to find their reality and their next finish line. Mm -hmm. so, so what is your next uh, big adventure that you're going to go on? Well, can anyone answer that right now? <laughs> <laughs> you got to have that's, a dream. I mean, you know? <laughs> oh, I have many dreams. That's the question, right? So, I mean, this fall was supposed to be a really intense Oh, I was supposed to race Ironman Maryland with my friend Randy. I was going to guide my friend Alexandra in 70.3 North Carolina and then guide the New York City Marathon with Helen. But I don't know what events are actually going to take place right. at this point. So I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough environment to be able to navigate right now. But, you know, it's keeping that positivity yeah. and trying to figure out, you know, what is next. When you look at your adventures... What is some of the biggest takeaways? Like, what is one of the big takeaways that you had from Kona? That's a challenging course. That's a brutal course. Oh, way harder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like when, you know, what is that takeaway that you have from when you reach those dark moments? Because when you're guiding somebody and you both reach a dark moment at the same time, how do you get through that? You know, I find that it's harder almost when you're in a dark place and the person you're with isn't. I think if you're both in a dark place, you know, and I think everyone who's done an endurance event, a long one has, has hit that point before. But if you're both in a dark place, it's important to find the humor in it, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, to, to not let each other sink lower. But I think I've shared this story before, but it's one of my favorites is just, you know, with Helen, I was really struggling on the run in Kona, especially at the beginning. And she'd gotten a second win and was feeling awesome. And there's something about you know, the person that you're running with feeling really amazing and you're feeling terrible. And it almost makes you feel like 
you're that much worse off. <laughs> and so having the, you know, yep. I remember seeing your face in uh, Iron Man Wisconsin, Rob, you were in a, a deep pain cave. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of pain caves I've been in. Uh, nobody else wants to go yeah. in those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, first of all, I love pain caves. But yes, uh, but I mean, imagine like how stressful it is if you're like, oh no, they feel amazing. Are they going to, am I going to let them down? Like what, what's going to happen here? And just being able to ask the person that, that you're racing with to give you a little bit of grace and to, in Helen's case, she said, let me know if you need me to, to be quiet and stop talking as much. And, and I asked her for that and, and it helped me refocus on myself and put just some of that energy back into putting one fo- foot in front of the other. And then as you know, in races, you can have a second wave and a third wave of energy. And that did happen. But if I hadn't been able to say, hey, Helen, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm not going to slow you down here, but I, I really just need a minute to regroup. If I hadn't been able to ask her that, I, I don't know how it would have turned out. Oh my gosh. There's so many different factors that go into these races. And I love, I love just the, the dynamics that you have to work through to actually get to that finish line. Everybody sees the finish line and they go, oh, that's so amazing. But they don't understand the little things that go into it. When you're running, And, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand guiding. So on the swim, you're tethered together. Mm -hmm. And then on the bike, you're on a tandem bike, right? Yeah. And then on the run, you're tethered together. So how do you communicate like the pace, where you're going, if you're turning, is it all hand touching or how do you do that? So I will try to, you know, I'll try to set the stage. You know, it, it depends on the course. It depends on how hard you're going. I mean, in an Ironman, there are usually a lot of straightaways, but I try to give, especially if there are turns, I'll give a decent amount of heads up, you know, in whatever, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, or even longer, you know, we're going to have a turn. I will try to describe the degree of the turn. Like, oh, if it's a U-turn, I'll probably ask them you know, to grab their elbow or ask them to grab mine. And if it's a little bit more gradual, I'll probably just let them know it's happening and then tell them when to turn. Okay. And, and again, when you've spent a lot of time with somebody running with them, you start to get a, get a rhythm. But especially if you're guiding somebody new, over communicating is essential. And when it comes to touch, yeah, that can certainly be helpful. But I think starting with the description first, and then depending on the athlete's comfort level with touch, then you can certainly say, hey, I'm going to grab your elbow, or do you mind grabbing mine? And that can be useful for sure. But you just never want to assume somebody's comfortable with you just grabbing their arm you know, based on, on the terrain. Thankfully, the women I race with, you know, there's a ton of trust there and they're all really comfortable. So, you know, if it's really bumpy or if there's a tight turn, you know, we might be holding hands. You, you don't know. It can be really helpful. So do you teach a course on communication? Because that seems like, <laughs> that seems like an amazing amount of, of trust communication that I think a lot of people could actually take away from and apply into their either work life or their personal lives. <laughs> I wish I could say I was as effective, uh, you know, in my relationships, but no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but it is, I mean, it, and it is a relationship. And I think that the relationship that you have in one of those longer races, it is almost like this sort of marriage for that, you know, however many hours you're, you're together. And because no matter how rocky it gets, you can't separate, right? right? So even if you're really struggling, or maybe there's conflict because you you're frustrated or the athlete's frustrated. And so you have to figure out how to work through those moments. And I can't say I've always done an amazing job. I'm sure there have been times when I I could have handled things better or differently, but it's a learning process. And then ultimately just knowing that the people that you're racing with are just so lucky. I consider this racing with friends now. You know, we're able to, I know that even if I, I were struggling or if I had to slow them down or if we had some sort of an issue, I know that they would, you know, still want to race with me again afterwards. So it takes some of that pressure off. It's not like some, you know, make or break thing where if I, I let them down, I'm done. And I think that's important, especially for athletes that want guides and need guides is to make sure you, 
you know, yes, your guide is essentially equipment, but also they're a human being. They have good days, they have bad days, yep. and it really is a relationship and a partnership. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and really learn more about how to be able to be, in essence, a better human like you. I am not going to take credit for that, but um, I, think I will say if anybody does, <laughs> right back at you, Rob. Seriously, I'm just so grateful to talk to you. And if people want to ask questions, they're welcome to follow me on Instagram or, or find me on Facebook and, and send me a note. I try to be as responsive as I can, but hopefully um, you know, I can direct you to the right organizations if need be. And what are those Instagram and Facebook tags? Sure. So on Instagram, it's Carolyn Bikes, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, Bikes. B-I-K-E-S. And then Facebook, it's just my name, Carolyn Gaynor. Spelled, spelled like Caroline, but thank you for getting it right, Rob. <laughs> but, you know, I am a civilian. This isn't a professional page by any means. So, you know, just shoot me a note. I love it. I love it. So I always end uh, my podcast the same way. I have three questions that I ask you. I don't give them to you before because I love to get those uncomfortable answers. And then we have a rapid round. So here's the start of the first three of the three questions. What is one thing you haven't done, but is outside of your comfort zone? Well, it, probably in the same vein, but I think I want to do an ultra at some point, like a running race, because I, I really focused on cycling for so long, but it just seems so painful. And that community seems really incredible. But putting that amount of miles in my legs, yeah, that stresses me out just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, but I think you could do it. I think it'd be good, you know, Leadville or do some of those Western states, you know. I have to build up that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, here's the second one. What's your favorite quote and why? That's a tough one. I'm not a big quote person, but hold on. <laughs> Let me think. I'm, I'm actually, I'm Googling this one to make sure. So I think that the context in this one, there's more to it, but the part that resonates with me is, you know, try again, fail again, fail better. I think it's Samuel Beckett. And I, again, I'm probably butchering it, but I think that failure is really important. And again, I may be, the context may be wrong there, but I do think that it, I think if you don't have failure in your life, you can't learn effectively. And so every single bad period of my life or, you know, even a race where I've, you know, completely let an athlete down or something, all of that builds on itself. You learn from it and makes you a better person, makes you better able to empathize and you learn from your mistakes. So I think that failure is probably the best tool for learning. I love that. I completely and utterly agree. It's the time to learn. All right. The last question, this one's going to be an interesting one. If you <laughs> can pick to have coffee with three people, they can be deceased or alive at a firehouse table. So in other words, nothing is off the table. You can ask them anything. Who would it be and why? Well, it's funny. Every one of my table is a firehouse table. I will ask. <laughs> I'm very direct. <laughs> um, well, truthfully, Rob, I'd love to get coffee with you again. Uh, so uh, I think that I'm putting you on that list. I love it. Yeah. Right now, given everything that's happening, I'm going to go with Barack Obama. I've got a lot going Good on choice. in this country. I think it's really important to be thinking about everything that's going on. And I would love to hear his perspective. And then, oh man, this is, it's funny. I'm not a big celebrity person either. So I'm trying to think of real people that I'd, I'd want to <laughs> want to be around. So true. Um, no, truly. Um, so true. Yeah. I just, <laughs> man. And here's the other thing is we're not seeing people right now. So a ton of people. I'm going to say Ashley Eisenmenger, a good friend of mine that it was five years ago that we met in person for the first time. She's another athlete I've raced with. I haven't gotten to see her in many months. And she's been doing a lot of great work for the disabled community in Chicago. And she's totally quarantined and isolated. And I would just absolutely love to get her to Charlotte and spend some time hanging out with her. I love it. I love it. Those are great answers. I like it. I like it. All right, here we go. We're going to the rapid round questions. All right, you ready for this? All I'm, I'm going to give you. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> two, I'm going to give you two options. All you got to do is choose one of them. All right, here we go. Ready? Okay, okay. All right, paper or plastic? Mm -hmm. Paper. Super salad. 
soup for sure. McDonald's or Taco Bell? Oh, McDonald's. Come on, they're hash browns, best food on the planet. <laughs> I love it. Camping or a hotel? I'm a hotel person, I hate to admit, but I travel so much that got to go hotels. Uh, you get points, you know? Oh, diddle, diddle. <laughs> I like I like hotels. All right, fly or drive? Fly. Again, mileage. And I fly, well, I used to fly, you know, six or seven times a month. So, <laughs> and, uh, and, and now zero. <laughs> zero, yes. <laughs> Sleep in late or wake up early? What I actually do is sleep in late, but I have always wanted to be a morning person and I'm always looking for accountability partners, even virtually, because the only way I can get up to do a workout is if somebody is going to be disappointed in me if I don't wake up. I am not a morning person. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. It sounds like I'm answering these questions. Run. That's so funny. <laughs> run or walk? <laughs> oh, run. I actually hate walking. <laughs> uh, I find it really stressful. Yeah. I, I would rather be running any day. <laughs> walking. I'm like, why? I should just ride a bike if I'm going to walk, you know? <laughs> so true. So true. So true. Partly sunny or partly cloudy. Isn't that the same thing? In some respects, it's. I've gotten so many good different answers. I love it. So I would say probably partly sunny then, because you know, probably better racing weather for that. The, I feel see, like that means the, that there's more clouds. And that's the best part is like people start to figure out like they're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna. They have different explanations for it, and that's why I love it. How about fire <laughs> or water? Well, water. I mean, but I'm a triathlete. There you go. So, there you go. You know. When it comes to personality, though, I'm hundred percent fire. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I don't doubt it. All right. <laughs> use a porta potty or continue to drive or run to the next physical bathroom. Oh, use a porta potty. Don't be a diva. There you go. There you go. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. And go big or go home? Well, go big. I mean, is there even an option? No, there isn't. Uh, <laughs> that's, the that's not even a question, Rob. Exactly. Exactly. Well, th thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it has been such a pleasure. Uh, and definitely thank you for everything that you're doing. If anybody wants to find out more, definitely go to our Instagram or Facebook and help be a guide. I can't wait till your next adventure. Maybe another race across America. Who knows, right? Who knows? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, well I, I definitely hope our paths cross uh, again soon, Rob. This has been uh, the highlight of my week. Thank you so much. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again. And thank you for everybody listening. And we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for stopping by. Bye. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.